Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. As we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. Just fair warning today. And with today's subject, uh, I just want you to know it's a lot of scripture, as you can see. So you can, this is a lot, almost all the scriptures that we'll be covering today. So you can take notes, and, and the purpose of this is to write this down and then go back home and, and check me on it. Look through Scripture, prove me. Um, I'm not asking you to take my word for it. Here's the deal. Years ago, I was in the wrong because what I did was I believed things because they were cultural, they were, they were cultural in the church and not biblical, okay? So I believe many things because of the way I was brought up, because of who brought me up. I'm not saying they were wrong. I'm just saying we're, we all adhere to the way that we were brought up and the things that we, we have heard and the influences in our lives. And um, so I was influenced by the way I was raised. I was influenced by television preachers and radio preachers. I was influenced by uh, my mom and dad. I was influenced by the culture of the church. And there came a point in my life when I, when I really, um, as, as most people do, I think, and they start to... Uh, have questions about what they've always believed. Lord, I just want to know what your word says. I just want to know the truth of God's word. And what I found was many of the things that I had believed or submitted to was a result of scripture that was either being completely ignored or scripture that was being taken completely out of context or, uh, or books of the Bible that were being completely ignored. And what I had to do was then submit to the word of God like, it's not about me. It's not, a, it's not a, um, an insult against my parents and the way they raised me or the denomination I grew up in, but I'm not beholden first and foremost to my parents. I'm not beholden first and foremost to the denomination. I'm not beholden first and foremost to the influences on TV and radio or even the pastor. We are beholden to the Word of God, period. So what the Word says, we submit to. Amen? It's that simple. That's who we are here. That's who we are. So, so the last time I preached a message on, along these lines, um, I got a call that afternoon. A couple wanted to have a talk with me, and we spent four hours talking and going over Scripture, and they were clearly very upset about the Scriptures that I'd show them. I, I don't know what to tell you. That's what the Bible says. Well, you're taking it out of context. Well, I don't see it at all in any way how I'm taking it out of context. So you may have that visceral reaction to what I'm going to teach today. I just want you to know this is God's Word. If you can clearly show me in some way that I've missed it and that I've taken Scripture out of context, I welcome it, okay? Because we're all here to seek the foundational truths of the Word of God, period. That's it, and we submit to that. So with that being said... We're going to start with prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your love and mercy. We know it is undeserved, Lord. Uh, we submit to you and your word right now as you open our hearts and minds to the, uh, the truth of Scripture, Lord Jesus. Again, thank you so much for uh, giving us the divinely inspired word to walk in the path of righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So when it comes to the subject of evil, 
It's essential that you understand it from a biblical perspective. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The biblical perspective of evil. And if you get this wrong, it's like a chain reaction because many of your doctrines or your theology down the line will be wrong as well, okay? It's also essential that as believers we know how to give an answer to the lost world and to the world around us. And I will tell you this, that many, many atheists believe that the problem of evil in the world is their slam-dunk argument against the reality of God or there being a loving God. So they'll say something like this, if there's a loving God, how could He allow such evil in the world? I'm sure you've all probably heard that argument. But there is a biblical answer to that question. And granted, many will not like what the Bible has to say, but that's not for us to decide. It's for us to submit to what God's Word says. Um, there are many, many scriptures that cause uh, some Christians to shift in their seats and get uncomfortable with because it clarifies God's position on evil. And they feel that they have to come to God's rescue and convince everybody that, oh no, God's not a bad God. He's not bad. He's not evil, right? And so they omit scriptures, they twist them, they make excuses for them, or they simply say things like, well, that's Old Testament, which is a cop-out, okay? Um, so we hear things like this. Well, God is not responsible for evil, Adam and Eve are, okay? Well, that's a great little statement. But if we're to believe in the God of the Bible, the God who is omniscient, the God who knows all things before they happen, as Isaiah says, he knows the end of the story from the beginning, and he knows all things, um, then why would an omniscient God create beings that, and, uh, that he knew was going to fall? I mean, that's the next logical step, okay? What about this one? God isn't responsible for evil. Satan is. Well, then why did an all-knowing God create these Elohim, these spiritual beings that um, even had the capacity to rebel or fall away from Him if He knew that they were going to do it in the first place? You see where that gets you? It's not really an argument. It's just a statement that causes you to pause and further clarify that, well, that can't, that can't be the answer. There has to be something more. So original sin started in the heavenlies and almost simultaneously Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. And in that twin rebellion of heaven and earth, in heaven and earth, we see that all creation was corrupted as we read in the book of Genesis. So if God knew that that was going to happen, why? Why would he create them? See, God nor his word needs our help or clarification on this issue. He doesn't need our opinions. We do not need to interject what we think on the Scripture. We need to let Scripture speak for itself, the divinely inspired Word of God on all issues. And we as the body of Christ, amidst a culture that is going completely nuts, we make no apologies. We make no attempts to rescue God from His own biblical resume. Amen? So one very important thing that needs to be understood at the start this morning, and, and that is the infinite gulf between God, the Creator, and you and I, the creation. We are the creatures. He is the Creator. He is not like us, and it is a dangerous thing to humanize God. We do not give Him human attributes. He is not a human we do not give him human emotions. When he expresses emotion to us, that is for our benefit to try in some way as a human, a finite mind, to understand why God is doing things. But God is infinite and we are finite. 
So we do not place human emotions on him. We allow him to express himself in the words of Scripture in order to clarify to us as humans in a way that we can understand. But his ways, we are confidently told in Scripture, are higher than our ways. And the Elohim, the created spiritual beings, angels and, and seraphim and, and uh, cherubim, all of these, these different uh, spiritual beings that He created as powerful and beautiful and magnificent as they are, still fall infinitely short of God's power, beauty, and magnificence. Okay, He is truly in a class all His own. He is unique and to suggest that uh, anything He created uh, can even come close to His glory and majesty is just laughable, okay? Uh, Scripture's very clear on this. On an infinite scale, nothing compares to God's sovereignty, His power, His omniscience, His, His omnipresence. Absolutely nothing compares to Him, and we have to get that straight. So if you lessen God's attributes in any way other than what God's Word defines as God, then you have created a graven image, a false God, and you are worshiping a false God. Okay? That's the danger in it. The God of the Bible is the one true God, like it or not. What Scripture says about Him defines Him. And we submit to the Word, and it's just that simple. Okay, so today on the subject of evil, I'm going to make a few observations about the reality of the world in which we live and things that we know to be true. You and I, just, just elementary, my dear Watson, very, very simple observations that we can make when we're looking at the world. Um, when we're finished with this, uh, based on what we know is true in the world uh, and what Scripture declares about God, we are going to come to one final conclusion, okay? And it's based on Scripture and what we know about our experience in the world. And that will be the answer to the problem of evil that we can take security and peace in and also that answer that we can give a world who wants to say that God is unjust. So we'll begin with these observations. Number one, evil exists. We know that evil exists. Most people with any observational skills at all can clearly see that evil not only exists, but it actually dominates our world. In 1 Corinthians 4.8, it says we are hard-pressed on every side. So we are surrounded with temptation, the manipulation, and potential to fall into the grasp of evil. Humankind as a whole is hemmed in on every side. And there are three areas in which we can pinpoint the foes that we face as non-believers when we're susceptible to the world and as Christians, the things that are trying to attack us and overcome us as believers and cause us to get off the path, okay? And this is like, y'all all know the basketball term, the full court press. These three things are putting a full court press on us, trying to get us to fail, trying to cause our marriages to fail, trying to cause our children, us not to, not to raise our children correctly or biblically, and they wind up going off the map when they, get, when they become adults and walking away from the faith altogether. And the three foes that we face are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So let's first consider the world. There's, a, there's certainly the issue of grappling with the cares of this world. All of us um, wrestle with that. We all face it. We have desires to be comfortable, to be wealthy. Uh, we want to have the things that other people have. We want to drive a similar 
car. Or, we want to be known. We want to be seen. We want to be respected, right? And the, that's, that's the things that we wrestle with daily as far as that's concerned. In 1 John 2.15, Jesus said, You cannot love the world and the things in the world. There cannot be a love for the world and God simultaneously. You cannot be, give your passions and your heart away to the world and still give your passion and your heart away to God. It's impossible. Uh, so there's evil in the world, and in an other often forgotten context of evil in the world is this thing that we refer to as calamity. That's a word that we don't hear often. I don't think I've heard it since I've heard the name Calamity Jane, right? The old cowgirl in the 1800s. But, um, but calamity is the description of fallen creation. What happened when sin entered into the world and then uh, post-sin uh, entering into the world, eventually we saw the flood and the absolute chaos and tumult that came in the earth as a result of the worldwide flood. It's fallen creation. So today we face things like fires, tornadoes, tsunamis, hurricanes, volcanoes, floods, earthquakes, disease, pestilence, drought. This calamitous danger surrounds us all the time, okay? And it's no respecter of persons. It's no respecter of age or position in life. Uh, if you're near a volcano, when it erupts, you're going to get incinerated. That's just the way it works, okay? It's just simple, uh, what do you call it, um, physics and whatever else, other smart words you can think of. Okay, so these things continue. All of these calamitous events continue as birth pangs killing millions over the entire history of mankind. Now consider decay. Decay is a form of calamity. It's a result of the fallenness of man. And, and uh, ever since sin entered the world, there has been something called decay. Ever since they were ejected from the garden, there has been decay. Thorns and thistles, the earth will now yield for you. It changed the way the earth worked, okay? So your body itself is physically dying day by day, year by year. I can look in the mirror today. I look way different than I did 30 years ago. Sierra knew me 30 years ago. I look pretty different, don't I? Just a tad, yeah. So, so that's the point. Your body's dying. And, the, and the, more, the older you get, the more your body will decay and eventually it will, uh, it will give up the ghost, okay? Um, but of course, we have that wonderful promise of the glorification of our future bodies at the resurrection and what an incredible thing that is. So second, let's consider the flesh. So that's the world. Not only the, 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 the temptations of the world, but also calamity in the world and the dangers that we face, it, all humans face with all those natural disasters and such, okay? So the flesh, let's consider that. It is the internal moral and spiritual wickedness and rebellion that our souls are bent towards. So before we're saved, we are bent towards death. We are bent towards darkness because Jesus said you love darkness more than you love the light. And if it were not for Him we would be stuck, stranded in that darkness, and many will be. But the flesh is the evil uh, thing that dominates the life of every human being, uh, and no one is exempt. It is that carnal nature inside of you. As, uh, as God's Word says, Romans, Paul says that there is no one righteous, no, not one. And Scripture says that we are dead. It doesn't say that you're barely trudging along. It doesn't say that you're not really a great person. It doesn't say certainly that you're a good person, right? You just need to find Jesus. It says you're dead. That's how Scripture defines you. 
Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. It was a perpetual wickedness of man's heart. Every intent, only evil. And before we are regenerated by Christ and the blood of Christ, that is our intent. That is our heart. It is bent towards every intent, focused on only evil continually. James 1 says that there is an unceasing lust within human beings that continually conceives evil. You know, we come up with ways to sin. Like, we're not good with just the old-fashioned ways that people sin. We decide we want to come up with a brand new way to sin, right? And that's what our culture is really good at these days. We're coming up with all kinds of cool ways to sin and dishonor God and spit in His face, okay? It says, but that as we conceive that evil, it gives birth to sin and it produces death. So when you're living apart from Christ, the only fruit that you possess in sin is death. And when you die... Apart from Christ, that fruit, you're going to pay the piper. You're going to stand before God and you're going to get everything that's coming to you. All right? So this world is dominated by this external corruption and internal corruption called the flesh, um, hard-pressed by evil from the outside and betrayed by our own souls, our own minds on the inside as our fleshly desires try to dominate us and ruin us. And it impacts every single relationship and family, your selfishness, your love of self, your, your, you know, you want it to be all about you, right? And, and you're unwilling to sacrifice and, and, and do what you need to do in your family. So all your family, your friends, it's very hard to have close relationships because almost always somebody's going to get offended over something. And, and, and often uh, forgiveness is very, very hard for people to offer even to the people that they love. And so you may... You know, you may live for years apart from someone that God meant for you to be close to because you're unwilling to forgive or bury the hatchet. And honestly, the truth of it is you're unwilling to recognize that Christ, yes, he died for your sin, but he also died for the offense of the person who sinned against you. So you can't hold that against them. You must give it up. That's why Jesus said, unless you forgive your brother, I can't forgive you. It's a package deal, folks, okay? We're constantly assaulted by our own selfishness and, 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 as I said, almost determined, it seems, to sabotage every, every relationship in our life. Now, third, let us consider the devil. This is the supernatural demonic evil that we saw from the, the very beginning. In 1 John 5, 19, um, it says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is not stating that Satan... Is, is, is in dominion over the world. The world is God's footstool. He's still sovereign. And we're going to cover this in just a few minutes. But what it's saying is the allegiance of the world worships the devil as the devil tried to tempt Jesus to do when he tempted him in the desert. Bow down to me and I will give you all of this. That's the mentality of our world. The lost, the people out there who are lost, they're looking at the world and they realize, um, I want all this stuff. Life is all about me. Life is all about wealth. Life is all about things. And so they're bowing down, not even knowing it, they're bowing down to Satan in exchange for all of the wealth and treasure of the world and all of those things. Instead of sacrificing all that st stuff at the feet of Jesus and saying, Lord, whatever your will is, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'm there. 
Okay? Ephesians 6 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against Joe Biden. We're not wrestling against Donald Trump. We're not wrestling against those people. It's the spiritual forces behind those people. Okay? Um, we wrestle against these wicked, rebellious, fallen Elohim, these spiritual beings. Um, they've been here from the beginning, skilled masters of manipulation and temptation, and they apply that skill to craftily deceive the entire world. The, 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 the most powerful demonic uh, princes concentrate specifically on the rulers, like leaders of countries and that sort of thing, and, and they're given geographical locations. Uh, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that God separated, when He separated men at the Tower of Babel, He actually separated these demonic forces amongst them equally. There were 70 nations, and each nation got an allotment of these fallen demonic forces, okay? And so these demonic forces were then, God, God kept them bound to a geographical location. And that's why we see in Scripture where it mentions stuff like the Prince of Persia or the Prince of Tyre. There are powers and dominions and rulers and authorities, and they're set up almost like in a military structure, okay? So those, uh, for those lofty heights of power from those lofty heights of power, those demons, when they attack those at the top and manipulate those at the top, they can affect as much change from the top down as possible. This is one reason why we shouldn't be voting for anybody who's not a follower of Christ. Because only they have on the full armor of God. Only they can withstand the temptations of the enemy and these fallen spiritual beings. You send somebody up there to the White House that doesn't know Jesus... They're just going to follow these fallen beings. They're just going to be manipulated and twisted and pointed in the wrong direction. So as the body of Christ, we need to have some standards about who we vote for and why we vote the way we do. And first and foremost, our priority should be sending people up there uh, that know Christ. This whole lesser of two evils thing is ridiculous, okay? We need to pray for godly people. It's By saying the lesser of two evils, you're saying you're still voting for evil. It's just a little bit less than the other. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but bottom line is, as the body of Christ, we are where we are because along the road, we kept voting for the lesser of two evils. If we had been held, upheld our standards and, and we sent people up there that we knew stood for the truth of the word of God, that at least we could stand on and that say, none of this is my fault. I didn't have anything to do with it. I, I voted for people that I knew to be followers of Christ and knew who had on the armor of God and who would be led by the Lord, okay? That's a, I better not camp out on that any longer because um, we've got other things to cover. So again, um, the thing about these demonic forces is that they just so happen to appeal to that wickedness, that betrayal that wants to come out, that carnal nature. So these demons manipulate our flesh, and oftentimes that can be the one-two punch that destroys marriages and it destroys families and it destroys relationships because our flesh is already bent towards destruction and death. And that's why we walk by the grace of God. We walk in, in, in His truth and righteousness so that we won't fall into that temptation. We walk by the truth of the Word of God. You get off track, you're susceptible to all of that stuff. Okay? <clears throat> so the flesh is susceptible to these demonic forces, okay? Um, but here's what I want you to understand. These fallen spiritual beings, including Satan, have been given a delegated level of power within the world on a temporary basis by God. These demonic forces have been, been given a delegated uh, power for a temporary period of time 
by God in this world. That's so important for you to understand. Scripture teaches that they are pawns in God's sovereign plan. They are not his enemy. God has no enemies. He's too powerful for that. They have an appointed time, a day of judgment ahead of them that they themselves know is in their future. They know it, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you how. Remember in Matthew 8, when, when Jesus is casting out legion the, the, into the pigs, okay? The, the demons cry out, what do you want with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? There was no question to them about whether or not they were bowing down to God. They knew he was God, and they were asking, wait a second, we know when our time is coming, this seems a little premature. Are you here to torture us now before the appointed time? So again, they were submissive. They, they had to listen to him. He cast them out, and it was like that. There was no battle that ensued. They submitted. They did exactly what God in the form of man told them to do. All right? So in Revelation at Christ's second coming, God binds the devil... And rather than destroy him at that time, have you ever wondered about this? Rather than destroy the devil at that time, he holds him confined into a bottomless pit for the period of the thousand-year reign. And at the end of that, he releases him once again to tempt the nations. He's not the enemy of God. He has to submit to God. He is a pawn in God's plan, and that is what Scripture teaches. Um, the devil is no match for God. But for humanity, Satan and his minions are formidable foes, and they are here for an appointed time, to, and make no mistake, they do serve God's purposes. He does not give them orders. They are, they are creatures, okay? They are not the creator. But they do what they want, and God in His sovereignty knows exactly how to flip everything they do on, his, on its head for His glory. That is how a sovereign God works. So our reality is that evil exists and it dominates our world in the lives of those around us, uh, every single person. There's calamity in the world. There's the, the, the temptation of the love of the world, uh, you know, all of that. And then there are these demonic forces. It is corruption everywhere banging into one another, just a collision of corruption, okay? And that is the world we live in, and that is why we're seeing the world fall to pieces like it is today. Because the more we get away from the truth of God's Word, the more we deny Him and why He created human beings in the first place, the more we shake our fist in the face of God and spit in His face, the more we fall to pieces as a society, as a people, as a race of human beings. Okay? Evil is systemic. It's outside of us. It's inside of us. We cannot escape it. Its influence is everywhere. It's all, it's across the entire universe, the fallenness of sin entering into creation. And that is why a human has no chance of righteousness on their own. You have no chance to, to be approved by God on your own. The reality of evil for the broken, contrite heart drives them to the arms of our loving Savior. When you realize you have no hope, that you're at the end of your rope, that you cannot make it in this world and you certainly can't make it into eternity, into God's presence without Him, that is what drives you into His arms. That only Jesus offers rest to those who are weary from this constant assault that we face. Okay? Now for our second observation. Number two, God exists. God exists. Not only does evil exist, but God exists. And I am emphatically declaring this morning that the God of the Bible exists. He is the one true sovereign 
living God. He is defined in His holy word in a myriad of infinite attributes. And I think corporately as the body of Christ today, we make too little of God's infinite attributes. We do not give God His proper place of holiness. He is holy, holy, and infinitely holy on top of that. And you and I are nowhere close. There is nothing that exists or, or that occurs that is beyond His knowledge or outside of His sovereign hand of control. He allows things and intervenes according to His will and His eternal purpose that, quite frankly, is much bigger than you and I in our emotional whims. Like, like I want God to do this. Well, God will do that if, it, if, if it's according to His will. He will give you that. If it is butting up against God's will, sorry, it's not going to happen. We get to have a relationship both with a transcendent God that we cannot fathom and an ever-present God that we can know intimately in the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that is with us all the time. So He is both infinite and, and impossible to fathom, but He is intimate in our relationship with our, our daily love for Christ in, in, in uh, following Him and, our, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives daily, okay? Now, we're going to get into some scripture, and I'm going to bang through them quick, so you better have your finger on some of these because we're going to cover a lot of it. And that was my promise to you. I'm going to show you what scripture says so that at the end you will not be able to uh, tell me that, hey, you were just talking, you know, and you didn't back it up with any scripture. 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and on earth is yours, is your dominion, Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all, and in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. That's Psalm 115.3. Daniel 4, 34-35. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are of no account. All the generations of the earth are of no account compared to God. What this is saying is if you took every human being that's ever existed from the first, first human created to the last human that will ever be born and you took all of their resources, all of their mind power, all of their strength and you rolled it into a ball and tried to fight God, it accounts as zero. Do you understand what a powerful statement that is? But He does according to His will among the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can fend off His hand or say to Him, Why have you done this? The infinite transcendence of Almighty God. Scripture clearly declares the sovereignty of God in heaven and on earth. It's never in question. If you believe the Bible, you're left with no choice but to submit to the truth of His supreme power over all time, space, and matter. It is absolute, it is infinite, and it is irresistible. He will do as He pleases to accomplish His plan for His purposes. His, his, his supreme right is that of the potter over the lump of clay. He can make out of the same lump whatever he desires to make. He is under no ruler. He is under no law outside of himself. 
He has no powerful external influence that can sway him from his desired course that he himself set forth, y'all, at the beginning of creation from the foundations of the world. That's how God can say the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. Christ was, was, was predestined to be slain before he even created Adam and Eve, okay? He is under no obligation to give an account or explain to the clay why the potter does what he does. Deuteronomy 32.39. Deuteronomy 32.39. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God beside me. He's not saying there's no God besides me. Like He's saying there is no God beside me because often the Elohim were called gods, okay? Because they were spiritual beings. That's what Elohim means, is God. But he's saying there is no Elohim beside me, meaning there's, I'm, I'm in a class all of my own, okay? It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, it is also I who heal. Did you hear what he took credit for there? I give death, I give life. I wound and I heal, all right? And there is no one who can save anyone from my hand. These are pretty strong statements and, and need no further clarification. Exodus 4.11, But the Lord said to Moses, Who has made the human mouth? Or who makes anyone unable to speak or deaf or able to see or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now that may cause some of you guys to question things you've always believed. But God does not uh, God does not step away from the fact that if someone is born with, a, with some form of infirmity, that somehow, in some way, in His infinite plan, that was part of His will, okay? And we shouldn't take that away from Him. We have no right to, to question Him. In Psalm 105.16, He called for a famine upon the land, which is He's using calamity or fallen creation for His own purposes. In 2 Kings 17.25, They did not fear the Lord, therefore the Lord sent lions among them, killing some of them. All right? These, this is him using the creatures of the earth as his, uh, to accomplish his purpose and his will. Lamentations 3.38. Lamentations 3.38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both evil or adversity and good proceed? All right? He allows it, and he does not need, uh, feel the need to distance himself from the fact that evil exists and he does not distance himself from the fact that he uses evil to accomplish his purposes. I'm going to clarify that later. Remember that God is the one responsible for drowning millions of people on the planet, possibly billions of people, in the great flood of Noah. Okay? And he only saved eight people. That's the God we're talking about. Are these not biblical examples that we have of the extent that God will go to, accomp to accomplish his will and accomplish His eternal purpose. And again, He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't hide from those acts that He does to accomplish His will. He takes the skeletons out of the closet and puts them all on display for everybody to see. And He says, yes, I did this. I killed millions of people. I caused it to flood the earth and kill millions of sinful, unrighteous, wicked people because it served my purpose and my plan above theirs. They rejected me. So they have no place to shake their fist in my face, right? Wickedness does not stand a chance. And that's the thing, guys. We can trust Him eternally. We can put our faith in Him. 
not as a giant vending machine in the sky where we get to tell him exactly what we want and he's obligated to give us everything that we ask for. But Almighty God is perfect in love and mercy and righteousness. He has the power and the will to do everything that He has declared that He will do. He has the power and the will to do it all. And nothing can stop that. We do not need to run to His rescue and make excuses for Him or for His actions in Scripture that a lost, wicked world deem as unjust. They want to paint God as a tyrant, as an unloving God who is, you know, like a, like a, uh, um, a dictator, right? That's forcing people to do what... He's not forcing anybody. He's a gentleman. Like... You can make your own decisions, right? You have the freedom to do that, but you will be held accountable for those decisions. He doesn't ask us again to rescue him from the unrighteous judgments and speculations of a rebellious, rep reprobate world. He asks us to trust him. And here's why, because he's just. We know that he is just. He is worthy and he is the only one worthy. Okay, so Paul encourages Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.15... Paul encourages Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.15 that God, who is the blessed and only sovereign, only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, meaning they cannot discern Him. Okay? That's what that word see and unseen means. They, no one can discern His ways. He is so far above them. And it says, To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your pleasurable will, they existed and were created. Proverbs 17.4, The Lord has made everything, everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. That might cause somebody to stumble. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. Why in the world would He create the wicked for a day of evil? We're going to cover that in just a few moments. I know, look, I'm going fast. I know it's a lot. Keep rolling with me. Stay engaged here. This is important. Job 23, 13. But God is unique, meaning none like Him. And who can make Him turn? Whatever His soul desires, He does it. Psalm 33, 9-11. For He spoke... And it was done. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord nullifies the plans of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The plan of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. So look, you can name it and claim it all you want to, but even nations can make their plans, but they uh, are of no account if it contradicts what God's eternal purpose and plan is. That is why Christ pray, prayed, Thy will be done. That is why we pray, Thy will be done. Lord, I think I know what I want. I think I know what's best for me. But I'm going to submit to You, Lord. I'm going to place my life in Your hands because You know the end of the story from the beginning. Have you ever gone up to a cockpit of a plane and knocked on the door and said, Hey guys, I'd like to take over for a while. Yeah, it's about that smart to tell God you want control of your life and you're going to dictate to Him how you want your life to go. It's His plan, His sovereign will, and, and that is what we submit to. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. That is a pesky word, that word, all. He rules over all. Isaiah 14, 27. For the Lord of armies has planned, and who can annul it? 
Who can cancel out the, the plan of the Lord God? And as for His stretched out hand, His power, who can turn it back? No one can. Nothing can. He's a sovereign God. His omniscience and His omnipotence are on display in that verse. 1 Samuel 2, 6-8. through 8, The Lord puts to death and the Lord makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and brings up. That's the grave. The Lord makes poor and He makes rich. He humbles. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the garbage heap to seat them with nobles. And He gives them a seat of honor as an inheritance. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and He set the world on them. Are you guys starting to get the point in Scripture here? This is the God of the Bible. We do not contrive our own God by tossing verses or entire books of the Bible aside just because it's, it makes us uncomfortable or because it causes us to shift in our seats because it makes us feel like God could possibly be unjust in some way. The problem's not with God. The problem's with your brain. <laughs> okay? Um, to those who would say, well, most of that that you're, I mean, I, I mixed in New Testament verses, but those of you would say, well, that's Old Testament. I've got one word for you this morning, and the word is immutable. The word is immutable, and it means unchanging, unchanging. And scripture tells us that both God and Jesus are unchanging. They are immutable, and they are one in nature. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this spans the entirety of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Okay, he doesn't even change his mind, folks. He has said and will he not do it or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it. The same God who drowned the Egyptian army in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament that struck Ananias and Sapphira dead. It's the same God. He's never paced back and forth in his throne room trying to figure out what to do now that, that Satan and all his demons messed up his plan. He's never wringed his mighty hands in, in anxiousness about how Adam and Eve, you know, he had a great plan all set and Adam and Eve came along and screwed it all up, Okay. That's not the God of the Bible. Somehow he's got to figure out a way to fix it all because they messed it all up. He has always, listen to me, he has always had plan A. There has never been a plan B. He's always had a plan A. There has never been a plan B. All right? He's never had to throw a Hail Mary pass in the final seconds of a game just to win the game. All right? He is the ever-existing God, the great I Am, Am, and in Him all things, all things live and move and have their being. If He were to back away from creation somehow, as if He could because He's omnipresent, <laughs> if He were to back away from it somehow or, or, or cease to speak the truth that hold all things together, then it would just, all of us, everything would just explode and dissipate in, in a millisecond. That's the power of Almighty God. Lacking the power of His nature, all things would just simply cease to exist. He is the Creator. He cannot sin. He cannot do evil. It is impossible. He, his every act, whatever He allows, is perfectly just, and it's done in perfect love. So honestly, God can do whatever He wants 
because we can trust in his perfect justice. He's perfectly just. It's impossible for him to do something wrong or to make the wrong decision or do something that is unrighteous. That's what we trust in as the body of Christ. That's why we can trust him and say, well, Lord, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. This is tearing me apart. Like, this seems unjust. It seems wrong to me, but I trust you. That's what Job prayed. Though he slay me, I will trust him. When, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to be thrown in the fire, he will save us. But even if he doesn't, we still will not bow. We trust him. doesn't matter the outcome. The outcome is insignificant. We trust in the, in, the, in the perfect love and the perfect justice and the sovereignty of Almighty God. He is the infinite creator, and you and I are the creatures. Do you understand? The responsibility of every evil thing that has ever transpired on the face of the earth lies squarely in the laps of the creatures that he created, not on God. But God does use evil for his purposes. Joseph summed it up perfectly when he said to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Do you see what he's saying there? Yes, God used your evil intent. He used it to bring about his perfect plan. So instead of Joseph and his brothers dying by starvation, right, out in the wilderness because the drought came, God sent Joseph ahead in the most terrible way that he went, slavery, falsely accused, thrown in prison. And he was elevated to the, to the uh, you know, second highest point in the kingdom of Israel, or in, in Egypt. And then... His father and brothers came and reaped the benefits of all of the work that Joseph had done ahead of time. Like, you see how God works? Bless you. You see how God works? We see wheels within wheels. When we look at a wheel and we think it's going one direction and God's taking it completely in a different direction. And that's why we trust God. This is the God of the Bible. Three persons, yet or three in persons, yet one immutable supreme sovereign over all of creation, and you cannot separate Jesus from the Holy Spirit from God the Father. They are one and the same. So since evil exists, and considering who God is, that he has known what would happen before it would happen, the third observation and only conclusion that we can come to is this. God's will was for evil to exist. Isaiah 45, 5, 7, and 9. Now, I probably have 10 more minutes here, guys. I'm not going to make a promise to you. So just as we read earlier, uh, gird your loins, put on your belt, man up, okay? All right, this is good stuff. This is God's word. Isaiah 45, 5 through 7 and 9. I am the Lord, there's no one else. There's no God except me. I will arm you, though you have not known me, so that people may know from the rising and settling of the sun that there's setting of the sun, that there is no one beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no one else. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. Verse 9, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. A piece of pottery among the earthen, other earthenware pottery pieces. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you fathering? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? Like, you can't, after you're born, go to your dad and say, hey, what were you thinking? Why'd you, why, why'd you guys have me? Right? That's how ridiculous it is to question God Almighty. 
God uses the creation and creatures and, the, and this mechanism, their mechanism of evil to accomplish his will, yet at the same time, he is not responsible for nor has ever been evil in any way, shape, or form because Scripture declares to us that He is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Now what we face today in the church is both a prosperity gospel and a progressive gospel that seeks to, um, they, they feel like they have to run to God's rescue, okay, and save Him from bad press, from what the world thinks about Him, all right? God doesn't need that. He doesn't need that. This, of course, it spawns myriads of false teachings, misconceptions about God and so forth. They, re, they revise God. They, they edit Him. They redefine Him. And they have to change or completely ignore these verses that we've all read today um, and many more, frankly, we're scratching the surface, to continue to believe what they believe about God. The sovereignty of God, His infinite attributes are everywhere in Scripture, and it is crystal clear. You cannot get around it. To try to change it would be like walking through a minefield because every three verses, you, you keep seeing the, de the declaration of God declared again of His sovereignty and His, His, His uh, uh, eternal purposes that will come about. Let's just assume for a minute, just, just let's think logically. Let's just assume for a minute that God is as they would say that, well, He's not completely sovereign. He's almost sovereign, but he's not completely sovereign. He's not quite all-powerful, right? He doesn't have the omniscience that he needs or the, all the knowledge that he needs. And that's their excuse, that somehow he was outsmarted in the garden when Adam and Eve fell, that Satan outsmarted God when Adam and Eve rebelled. And, and so... Um, God was then left on the outside looking in, trying to figure out a way to fix this big chaotic mess that he created. And he, he somehow didn't think about that. Oh, I didn't think that Satan might actually fall and, and actually take Adam with him. Never, never, thought never crossed my mind. That's heretical, okay? Following that logic then, listen, following that logic, then, then God still stands the chance of being outmaneuvered, outsmarted, or defeated. Because if the enemy outsmarted him in the garden, he can still outsmart him today. He can still mess it all up. And it is not guaranteed that he has the power to overcome evil in the end. And all what, no matter what you believe in your eschatology, the, the events of the end times, if God doesn't have foreknowledge, if he doesn't know what's going to happen, then how? And he doesn't have the power, then how would God bring it all about and end it in the way that he plans to end it? You see what I'm saying? Which is the God of the Bible today? A God desperately trying to regain control of this chaotic mess He's created or a sovereign God completely in control of everything from the tiniest atom to the furthest galaxy in the vast reaches of space? Which God would you rather serve? The one who could still be outsmarted, outmaneuvered, defeated? or the God who knew exactly what was going to happen before He ever created the earth in the first place. Evil exists. God exists. And with His mighty hand of providence, God moves the affairs of men to suit His eternal purposes. He did not create evil, but He allows it to exist. And in the case of Job, God allowed Job... God allowed Job... Go read it. It's, don't, don't say it's Old Testament. The Bible is the Bible. All Scripture is divinely inspired and profitable for teaching. 
Don't throw Job out, okay? Because so many Christians doing that today because they don't like it. God allowed Satan to cause horrific suffering in Job's life. And it was because, not because Job was unfaithful or evil. It was because he was faithful and God knew that he would stand up to the test. That, that he would get glory in that. It was because God knew that about Job. Remember in Luke 22, in Luke 22, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. He wants to tear you up. And I know your response would be the same as mine. Maybe Peter had that thought. You told him no, right? Like you said no, right? I mean, I don't know that I can handle Satan sifting me like wheat. I don't know what that means, but he knew what it meant. Do y'all know what it means to, to sift wheat back then? You're like, there's a threshing floor with all the bundles of wheat and they're, pe they're beating it with, with big sticks to separate the wheat from the chaff. And then they throw, throw it up in the air and the wind blows the chaff away and the wheat falls to the ground, to the, thre the threshing floor. He's saying Satan desires to beat you to a pulp. All right? Did he say no? No, he said have at it. Have at it. Why? Because Satan testing Peter was preparing him for the calling to be one of the first men who, who started the body of Christ, the church. He was, he was instrumental in the creation of the body of Christ in the establishment of the earliest, or early church. So it's often the trials and the suffering we face that has a much higher purpose for the Lord's will for our lives on the other side of the storm. So don't be so quick to curse God when you're having hard times or when things seem to be falling apart. So the last question is, last question, why did God allow evil to exist? And the very simple answer in Scripture is for His own glory. For His own glory. Let me explain. Romans 3, 5. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates... Now, now just take note of that word, demonstrates... But if our unrighteousness, our sin, our evil demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That's the purpose. Our fallenness, our wickedness, our evil, it demonstrates the glory of God and the righteousness of God in contrast, by comparison. Unrighteousness demonstrates or displays that about God and His glory. Romans 5.8, again, but God demonstrates His own love towards us that in while we were yet sinners, while we were wicked, while we were evil, while we were broken and fallen and we did not deserve it, while we were yet sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. In contrast, in comparison to your wickedness, Christ did the greatest act of love and mercy ever. And in that contrast, God gets the glory. Do you see how that works? The presence of darkness, of sin, it allows God to demonstrate His righteousness. His love, His mercy, His righteousness is demonstrated in the fact that in our fallenness, He did something incredible when He sent His Son. Romans 9.22, what if God, although willing to, here's the word again, demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with great patience, objects of wrath prepared for destruction. So essentially there are those that God knows that He could destroy right now because they are wicked and evil and they will never accept Him. But still out of mercy in great patience, He holds off His hand of wrath. For them. I love what one preacher says. He says, it's as if God is holding back His wrath with one hand and with the other He is pleading, come, come to me, be saved. But there is a point in time in the future where God removes 
his hand from holding back the wrath of God. And then it's, you're going to get it with both barrels, anyone who's rejected Christ. He, en he endures evil with patience because he wants to make known the riches of his glory for us for eternity. Evil is a stark contrast to the majesty and holiness of God. We wouldn't know how just God is if it was not for the experiences we've had in the world of injustice. What would we have it to compare to? We would not know what a treasure His love and mercy and grace is for us if we had never known how wicked and undeserving we actually were. How in contrast to God's glory, uh, just the smallest infraction is a great aggression against the holiness of God. Without our experience with evil, we would not know the transcendent heights of God's holiness. Well, how holy is God? Again, infinitely holy to the point that He must send away anyone who is not fit to reside in His presence for eternity. So He sends them away for eternity. They simply cannot abide His presence. It's a matter of heavenly physics, if you want to use that term. A sinful creature cannot abide the presence of God. And he will not abide sin in the, the new heaven and the new earth. It's just not going to happen. For eternity, all evil will be set aside. That's a called eternal evil. And evil will exist forever, but it's going to exist in a place called the lake of fire. And even there, God is omnipresent and he resides over the judgment of the wicked in hell. Look at verse 23 of that same chapter. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. The only ones who will taste the riches of glory are the vessels of mercy that he has prepared beforehand in order that God might build his household. All, the whole purpose of all of human history is to build the household of God for eternity, for the new heaven and the new earth a family of believers that will forever glorify Him in all that He is, for all that He has done in His presence and His light forever and ever and ever. That is the hope of the believer. And verse 14, look, it makes it very clear. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? Far from it. Far from it. God is perfectly just. He cannot be unjust. So I'm going to close now with this last verse, verse 19, verse 19 through 21. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? So if God is handling all this, then how could he actually judge someone? Well, listen to what he says. Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? On the contrary, who are you, you foolish person? Who answers back to God? Remember what we read in Job this morning? You're going to instruct me? You're going to instruct God? You're going to lecture me about what justice and righteousness is? On the contrary, I'm sorry, the thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does the potter not have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one object for honorable use and another for common use? He has foreknowledge. He knows the end of the story from the beginning so he can make decisions in perfect justice and we don't get to question him. Plans drawn before the foundations of the world were laid. We have no place whatsoever to accuse God. It's okay, we're almost finished. That's pretty anyway. <laughs> we have no place whatsoever to question or accuse God of unjust behavior. The Creator, listen, this is so important. The Creator 
cannot be unjust. It is impossible. It is the creature, you and I, who fall drastically short of the understanding of God's infinite ways and His nature. So we constantly want to question Him and, and apply to Him human attributes and say, well, I'd never do that to my kids. God would never do that to me. Well, you're not God. And, and God's relationship with His creation is not like you and your kids. It's a picture of, but it's not, it is by no means an all-encompassing description of how God uh, treats his, his creation. God's got eternal purposes. So, so it's dangerous to do that, to apply human attributes to God. So we trust, and we trust in perfect love. We are thankful for His undeserved mercy and His holy justice that will come to this God-forsaken, rebellious, wicked, dark world that we live in right now. Every few days I see something else in the news and I'm like, that is completely insane. What is going on in this world? It's because we've lost all inhibition. We have no anchor. We have no true, nor true north. We have abandoned God's ways completely. And this is the result. But here's my point this morning, y'all. He is God. He is sovereign. He is good. He is just. So trust Him. Trust Him. There was one event, one event that took place that was the most evil event that ever happened in the history of mankind. Does anybody know what it is? It was the day Jesus was nailed to that cross. God in man's flesh, innocent of all sin, took on your personal sin, your personal sin, laid upon his shoulders, and he was brutally murdered in the most insane, uh, disgusting way that could be conceived in those times of how to murder a human being. And he endured that for you. That was the most evil day in the history of all mankind. Yet God's word tells us it was foreordained. It was predetermined to take place from the beginning of time from before the foundations of the earth, the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. The most evil event in history perpetrated on God's holy son as death, sin, and the grave were defeated on the cross. That wickedness, that evil, that sin seemed to dominate. But in stark contrast, look at what we got out of that one event of wickedness and evil. Now we get to abide in His presence for eternity. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you are encouraged by the truth of God's Word. If you're in the Tulsa area and are looking for a local church family that teaches God's Word, then join us at 1030 every Sunday morning. Or you can join us live online on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. Until next time, brothers and sisters, as Paul instructed, rejoice. Be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you.